Timothy, we are in chapter 2, and you can find that in the Pew Bible on page 996. Our focus this morning is on verses 20 to 22. Children, here are your questions for this morning. First, what are some ways you see people serving in your church? Two, what will help us to serve with joy? Three, you are young now, but you can still serve in the church. How might you help? And four, what ways might you want to serve in the church when you grow up? Second Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. This is the word of God. Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. There ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you that you instruct us, you guide us in your word. You also minister to our souls, both encouraging and convicting us. Lord, your word is truth, your word is living and active. And Lord, we pray now as we move from the reading of your word to the preaching of it, we ask for your blessing, we ask for a special measure of the work of your Holy Spirit through the preacher and for all of us who will hear May we receive well from you. And we come to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Paul uses an illustration from common life to make a very important point about the church. I say common life, although I probably should say his illustration is really from an upper crust kind of house where there are both regular items of use in the house, but then there are also some very fancy types of items in the house. He uses the term noble and ennoble. Both items, both types of items are functional. Uh, Both are functional, but some are more valuable than others. Some are disposable. Some would be heirlooms that you might pass down for generations. Buckets and pails and things used to remove refuse from the house are one thing. The thing that you serve food in for your friends, family, and guests is quite another. And so Paul makes the point that there are some for ignoble use, some for noble, things that are precious and things not so precious. Uh, You notice that the things that are precious are made of things that, that are lasting, gold and silver. The things that aren't noble are things that are easily consumed and burnt up. And once they're used, once they're used, you can get get rid of them. We might want to make it very practical, saying you're not going to use your things in your house. 
for gross purposes when you want to use them for, um, for, for more noble purposes, so to speak. You're not going to use your toilet brush for your toothbrush, in other words. You don't want anything that's going to contaminate or lessen what you're, what you're using your items for. Well, Paul is obviously talking about the church, the church being a great house, and he's saying that in the visible church, in the church militant, which is the church on the earth, as opposed to the church triumphant, the church in heaven, in the church militant, it's a mixed bag. There's, there's a mixed population in the church. Um, you have those who are wheat, and tares. Jesus uses that illustration to say that, that in the time in this earth, there's a mix between wheat and tares, and the wheat will be brought into good use, and the tares will be burned up. He tells a parable about fish getting caught in a net, and they don't know what kind of fish are going to come up in the net filled with fish, and there are some for good use, good fish, and then there are bad fish that you toss back or use for bait. Uh, he also, in a much more sobering way, talks about the sheep and the goats. And he talks about how the sheep were God's valuable people after all, and the goats were not, even though all of those would represent people in the church. Now, it's important for the church when there are notorious people corrupting the church that they're put out of the church. Paul has already made that argument, but no church is ever going to be perfect. And the, the church on earth is never going to be perfect until glory. But he's encouraging those who truly belong to the Lord that they are valuable vessels used for God's glory. And so while even the unregenerate, unsaved in the church might be useful, it's not that they don't necessarily do anything. Their lasting value, their impact on the kingdom is going to be limited. Keep in mind what it says in Proverbs 16 to those who are following the Lord, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. And so make sure that you are serving your purpose as a vessel in the household of God. Sincere Christians can take heart here because we've already been told that if we're on the foundation of Christ, if we're on the foundation of the truth, that that's never going to change. It's never going to be taken away. We've been made useful. Every true Christian is useful to God in his kingdom, in his church. That's a given. That comes with being called to be a part of his people. So we look at ourselves and we all have to recognize that we all have a place, we all have a function in the work of the kingdom and the work of the church. Doesn't mean that we're all going to be tremendously gifted in one thing or another. What this is really about is being faithful in our call to follow Christ and to pursue the things of God. Flowing from that will be our effectiveness in the church. And so, in other words, make yourself useful. He says, he, basically, it's established you are useful. You're a good vessel. Now make yourself useful. I don't know if you've ever heard that term before. I have. I don't know if you have, but I remember times in my youth, especially when I would be sitting around when other people were working or trying to weasel out of work. And uh, someone, probably my dad, would say, make yourself useful. Do something. Don't just sit there. Well, here, 
through the mouth of Paul to Timothy, it's really God the Father saying, make yourself useful. Pursue it. You are useful. Now pursue these things. Be prepared for use. There are two parts that Paul points out here about being prepared for worse, for use. The first is, is to be cleansed, to be cleansed. To get rid of anything that would be an obstacle in your serving the Lord well. If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for good work. Cleanse yourself. Now again, we're made holy by God, but we go through this process that we know as sanctification, that we participate in, that believers participate in. And part of that is flight. Flee from temptation. Flee, your translation probably says, from desires. That could fairly be translated lusts. Now, we all know that that good desires can turn bad. We also know that there are lusts that aren't necessarily sensual lusts. It is the same word that Jesus uses when he says, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent already committed adultery with her in his heart. Same word. It's also the word that James uses here in a broader sense. James 1, 13 to 15, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then the warning, then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. And so Paul is warning Timothy and all of his readers, for that matter, to flee from any of these desires that are corrupted. It's a strong word. But it can also be seen as anything that's against God, anything that's against ourselves, anything that's against someone else. It, it can be summed up as things, desires that are sinful. And so we think of the usual crowd shuffling in, right? Especially when it says youthful desires, we tend to think of things like sexual sin and idolatry, making idols out of things and and false worship. Uh, In this case, some of it would be the bad teaching of those individuals that we heard of earlier. But those are the usual crowd of sins that tempt us all. These temptations don't go away. They're not unique to youth. And I started to think to myself, well, what temptations are, are especially weighty for youth? What are things that are especially tempting that comes from desires or even lusts from a youthful heart? And again, I had to say that it's not like they disappear when you mature. But I thought of things like pride and self-centeredness and desiring so strongly popularity or, ex- or acceptance or a success. And you notice that some of them can be perfectly natural desires, but if they're put in the wrong direction or if they're given too much emphasis, they can become idols. And so there is a special focus here for Timothy, who is young in the ministry, 
but for all people who would consider themselves youths. But I will say once again, these things don't go away. They don't go away. It's always bad when we give in. It's especially bad when older Christians don't mature and they keep giving in to the same temptations as they gave, gave into when either they were young people or young Christians. My wife likes to say, there's no fool like an old fool. Some people have what we might call a moral midlife crisis. And so it's not as if these things go away, but when you're young, it's best to make sure that you're keeping them in check and conquering them in your life so they don't become besetting perpetual sins in your life so that you can look back and say, God, through his grace and through sanctification, has allowed me to put those things to rest. And it's not like the temptations aren't there anymore, but I'm not falling into them like I did before. John says this, do not love the world or the things in the world. Understand the worldly order, the worldly philosophy, the worldly way of things. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And again, they don't go away, but youth, you need to flee these things. Flee, run from them, flee temptation. When you are fleeing something, you're not just running away from something, you're running towards something. Ultimately, you're running towards God, but you're also running to replace those things with things that are good and pure and right. In other words, we're, we're seeking to transform our very desires in this process of pursuing the mind of Christ and wanting to be like Christ, wanting to be his, to have his disposition. Any Christian is going to say, I want to be Christ-like. We want to be vessels that are filled with good things. Noble vessels. We're, we're vessels. We are vessels if we're in Christ. We're already filled with the Holy Spirit. But if we're avoiding being filled with junk, so to speak, or sin or transgressions or whatever you want to call it, we need to be filling ourselves with good things, to pursue good things. And I would suggest that to do that with anything is that first we pursue things Godward. In other words, we learn what God expects and what he loves and what he commands then we adjust our lives to those things by his grace at work in us, and then that flows into our reaction to the people around us. So Paul gives four particular things here, righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Those are the things that we're supposed to be pursuing. So pursuing righteousness. How do we learn what righteousness is? We 
learn it from the Word of God. We study His law. We recognize what He demands of mankind. We, we learn more about the holiness of God. We look at God, we look at Christ, and we see what righteousness is. And then we look for personal sanctification. To the point where we learn to love what God loves above everything else. And to despise what God despises, and God despises sin. So God word, we see what God is in his holiness. We see ourselves as needing to be made holy going through this process. But then righteousness also includes doing right towards others. Righteous relationships. Faith. How do we fill ourselves more with faith? We have faith. We have saving faith. But how do we pursue something like faith? Again, we observe God. We observe his ways, his works. Observe his care for you in your life. Think about what he's done for you. Think about who he is and how he's bound himself to you. Think about how much you can trust him. Not only with your very life, like we might say, about someone on earth that cares for us. I would trust them with my very life. We trust God not only with our lives, but with our souls that will never die. And then as far as faith towards others, simply being an example of those who really do trust God, who don't live their lives in fear and doubt and questioning. Love. How do we grow in love? Love is, is an action. It's the motive behind God's saving us, but it's, it's also enacted. God acted upon his love, and so we consider what God's done for us in his love. He loved us so much that he gave his only begotten son. To do what? To die for us. We see the love of God manifest in so many different ways, and then we recognize that he loved us so much that he gave his own son and we're told in 1 John that we love him because he first loved us. And the more we meditate upon how great our salvation is and how great his love for us was in sending Christ and is even now, our love for him will grow. But as John also says in 1 John chapter 4, since God loved us, so we ought to love what? One another. So you see how these things work. It's, it's holistic. It's, it's our relationship with God. It's our relationship with ourselves. It's our relationship with others. And what about peace? Do you have peace with God? There's only one way to have peace with God. That's reconciliation through Christ Jesus. Paul says, we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1. You have peace with God. That's something to be cherished. That's something that people outside of Christ don't have. But appreciate that peace. Appreciate the fact that you, a sinner, have been reconciled to a holy God and you're at peace with God. And you can be at peace in your soul if you're at peace with God. 
But here's the thing. We'll always have indwelling sin. But if we're harboring sin, if we're not confessing our sin, if we're cherishing our sin, if we're not fleeing youthful desires, if we're giving into youthful desires, we simply cannot be at peace with God. We will be agitated if we belong to him and we're not living for him. And so we need to lay things down that are causing any lack of peace with God. So peace with God, peace with ourselves. And the only way we're really going to be at peace with the people around us is if we're at peace with ourselves. But that takes work, to have peace with those around us, especially those who don't make our lives easy. But I think you get the point that that Paul is saying you've got to pursue these things. You're a vessel of God, but you just don't sit there. You pursue these things. Pursue righteousness. Pursue faith, love, and peace. Be filled with these things. Don't let things war within you because you're not pursuing righteousness, faith, love, or peace. You will have war in your soul. That's what... That's what Peter says, 1 Peter 2.11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And so we want to be useful vessels in God's house. Ironically, In God's sovereignty, there are a number of cases where leaders and individuals may be secretly corrupt, but tremendously effective, even successful, despite their lurking corruption in certain ways in the church. We've seen it. We've seen it. We've seen some leaders who have been horribly corrupt for years in the background. And, and they've been used by God to advance his kingdom. That is, is amazing to me. That just shows the sovereignty of God trumping sin. However, when people like that fall, there's usually fallout when their corruption rises to the surface. And for people who put those people up on a pedestal, they can come down with them as well. Because they put their faith in man, which we're warned not to do in Scripture. And they see someone they trusted, effective for the kingdom, people of a noble character, being successful, maybe even ministering to us, and they fall. And if our trust is in them, then we're going to be sorely disappointed and it will shake our faith if we have misplaced our faith. No one gets away with anything. These these corrupt vessels aren't getting away with anything. You can slap Christian on your ministry. You can slap Christian on your private business. You can slap Christian on things that you do, but if you're corrupt in the background, if things like righteousness, faith, love, and peace are not active, then it's a facade. And God sees it. You can build a church, you can build a reputation, you can make a lot of money, but when it comes to the kingdom of God, you're not as useful as you might think you are. 
No, we're to be holy vessels concerned with honoring God with the purity of our own lives, with the purity of the church. Useful to our master. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what you want? That you live for God. You live for God. We were made for him. We were made to glorify him. We were made to enjoy him. And we want to be useful to our master. That's the ultimate goal. And when all is in perspective, we're willing and ready to say, use me. And do whatever in my life you need to do to make me more useful in your kingdom. That's when, that's when serving becomes joy, not a burden. Those three basics. Glorifying God, doing that which is good for our own souls, and doing that which is good for others. That's satisfying. That brings joy. Finally, finally, if you are pursuing these things, you will be, here's a thing for youth. They probably don't even use this term anymore. You will be in the in crowd. You'll be in the in crowd. Isn't that what everybody wants? Part of a crowd. Maybe not in the world's eyes, but notice what he says in verse 22 at the end. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You want to be among those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. It may not make you popular, We're not talking about being weird here. We're not talking about being odd. What we're talking about is being gods and being virtuous and pursuing the things that God calls you to pursue. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. The in crowd. Those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. Sounds like a pretty good click to be in. The ultimate goal is to please our God and to be useful vessels in service in his church, in his kingdom, and in all areas of our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for things that you have done for us that are entirely out of our ability. Salvation making sinners righteous, giving us faith to trust and believe in you, showing us your profound love, making peace with us when we would be in rebellion against you. Lord, we thank you so much for that undeserved grace and all the aspects of it that you bestow upon your unworthy people. Lord, we know that those things cannot ever be taken away from us as we're on the firm foundation of Christ and your truth. And Lord, we pray in response to that, that it would be the deep desire of each one of our hearts to be useful vessels for you, for your use. And so help us to pursue those things in our lives, that we would flee the desires that that trip us up, the sins that so easily entangle, 
We pray that we would pursue those things that bring you glory and that are a benefit to our own souls and that are a blessing to other, others. Lord, help us to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Ultimately, all for your glory. The very purpose we were made, the very purpose we were saved. And we come to you in the name of the great expression of your love for us, who loved us so much that he gave his life for us, Jesus Christ the Lord, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Closing hymn is number 149 in the Trinity hymnal. Teach me, O Lord, your way of truth, and we'll please stand when we sing.